0: and that lets you save who cares true form life green look (laughs) on
1: Welcome to another edition of Exploring Mind and Body. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia. All right, so on the last episode, if you missed that one, that's gonna be a parenting yogi. We talked about misadventures of a parenting yogi with Brian Leaf. <laughs> Brian was fantastic. Um, that interview was a lot of fun. I hope you get a chance to hear that. You know, a very relaxed interview of his uh, maybe struggles and maybe his successes with raising a child a little differently. Um, but I think everyone could learn something from that. This next interview, next interview, that you're going to hear. This is Paradise in Plain Sight, Lessons from a Zen Garden. And um, oh my, have you ever run into something, uh, someone and and known that you were supposed to meet them or supposed to read this book? I don't say that too often, but this book could be life-changing for you. It certainly is for me. Talking to Karen, like, she gave me chills. <laughs> she was fantastic. And this is a candid interview. Um, Jameson will do some edits to get our uh, sponsors in there. But we started to actually talking and we got into some good information i didn't want to start all over or cut it out so as you'll hear karen and i are talking very openly about her book and and her teachings and and this is fabulous i can't say enough about this check this interview out it's coming up right here on
0: this is exploring mind and body naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host drew tadia
1: well, first of all, I have to tell you, I loved your book. Um, you probably I,
2: I noticed you did.
1: <laughs> what do you mean?
2: Well, you posted a picture on Facebook.
1: Oh, you, uh...
2: I mean, I just saw that today. Um, I guess because in my instructions, it says, like their Facebook page. Oh. So I went and I liked the Facebook page. And then I saw you taking a picture of one of the pages,
1: and yeah, you know, I talk about some like a lot of things in your book. Often, I like to talk about the mind, and, and I talk about lifestyle a lot, and appreciating what you have. And so that was just I was going through the book, and that was just something that stood out to me, and I wanted to share that with my audience. So right,
2: right. Um, well, what's true for one is true for all. You know this in your work, right. You know uh, what's different, and, and even our, even the way in which we resist and reject and refuse, those are all the same ways too.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, are you are you living in East LA right now?
2: Yeah, I, actually, it's not really quite East L.A., but, um, yeah, I live outside of L.A., a little town called Sierra Madre.
1: And that is that, like, are you living, excuse me, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm a, almost a fan right now. I feel like a, <laughs> like, I feel like a, Are you my, a,
2: but this is what, I, are you my number one fan?
1: <laughs> Everyone's your number one fan, aren't they?
2: Everyone's my number one fan. <laughs> you can't have enough number one fans.
1: That's right. Well, I'm just excited because I felt like I was part of your little garden there. And
2: well, that's the way, that's how I work, and that's what I write, and that's really what Zen is is it's face-to-face, very intimate. I'm not putting on airs. I'm talking to you. I'm literally talking to you. Actually, the reality is that I'm talking to myself, which is what we do when we talk to other people. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds very real. But yeah, you're here right now. You're actually in the garden. You're on the north side of the garden overlooking the bamboo. You don't really see the ponds. And I'm not going to walk around because my dog's in the other part of the house
1: so this is planned you're very good at this
2: <laughs> oh you mean this what we're doing here this is my third one today
1: oh interview no I mean like how you, you write the book like you're someone's actually standing there in your garden
2: well yeah that's how I sometimes people and I've written three so you know they'll be like then they'll come and see me give a talk or they'll do a retreat or something and I'll say oh my gosh you talk just the way you write <laughs> and it's like what other way is there
1: <laughs> yeah I like that um, and I've never really noticed that before, you know what, like I've written my own book and it's about health and fitness and a lot of people will tell me that they, you know, they they felt like I was sitting there next to them and that's how I always write too, I don't know another way, so I didn't really understand what they're talking about until I read your book and I was like, well, I feel like I'm sitting in the garden here.
2: Yeah, we have the same life. I mean, the, the profound aspect of it is that we really do have, there's just one life, that's what connects us and in, in the commonality of human experience. We're wrong if we think we're special or extraordinary or, or, you know, let me tell you my story because there's no other story like it. No, let me tell you my story because it's your story. Right. And then you will wake up to beyond just your tired, you know, victimhood <laughs> <laughs> and kind of get, you'll realize that you have tremendous total responsibility I'm sure we're preaching the same stuff. It just comes, you know, we're preaching the same stuff, which is wake up. It's your life. You're running out of time.
1: Right. Start living. Yeah. Start living. We're
2: all dead men walking.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. It's great to hear hear you talk. we look
2: like we're in prison.
1: We treat ourselves like that, don't we? Yes.
2: But we got to actually go on the clock here because the most important thing is that my daughter's going to walk out of school and she's my master.
1: You know I I was just looking at the time and I am enjoying this right now how we're talking. Do you mind if we air if we uh, air
2: No oh, no no no. Do do do. Yeah. We don't have to be pretty formal. it up.
1: Okay. Well, okay, we're just I'm just going to keep talking to you like this. We're going to we're going to air it the way it is. <laughs> Well,
2: that's very brave.
1: I don't want to and, go- <laughs> and
2: and I want you to know that you have just become not only the number one fan, you've become the number one student because if you can just work with things as they are and be that genuine, then you don't have any problems.
1: Yeah, well, that's one. Thank you very much for that. I do have some problems, though.
2: <laughs> well, you know what my teacher used to say? He would say, I still have trouble. It's just not a problem.
1: I like that. I like that. <laughs> So, uh, Karen, why don't you tell us, tell me why you decided to write this book? and know this is your third one. Why? Uh...
2: Oh, gosh. Well, that's a good question. Why? Every question is why, isn't it? And then you have to go and kind of scrounge around and come up with an answer. The truth is that I tried to write another book besides this one. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I thought, having written two books, that it was time for me to write something really important. <laughs> and, you know, that was kind of going to be a breakthrough. And,. Set this record straight and i struggled for years and years because that's not what i write you know i i thought that i needed to, to settle a, you know just a few things and and do something really significant in in my zen tradition and then finally after three or four attempts when my agent was just he'd lost his temper he instead of trying to console me he just said why don't you write about the garden which is really about why don't you just write about what's right in front of you instead of trying to dream something up. So my first response to him was, there's nothing I can say about the garden. And then I stopped short because, of course, the garden teaches everything. (laughs) So all I had to do was open my eyes and take a look at exactly where I was. Um, And so it was rich and full and beautiful and poetic, and it kind of wrote itself.
1: So uh, yeah, how long were you in this garden b- before you realized that like, this is your life, you've learned so many things from it, um, you want to share that with the world?
2: That's a good question. I moved to this place, this garden, which is California's oldest private Japanese garden. I moved here by accident, and it was initially it was kind of a terrible mistake. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. 17 years ago. In other words, I got in over my head I fell in love with the place and then I realized that it would be more work and I wasn't an expert. I didn't have the right skills or information or tools. So in the, in the ensuing 17 years, Drew, I have not, I've just gone out and done the work that I could do when I could do it uh, as in, as foolishly as I could. And, in other words, I just did my best, mm-hmm. which is a really good recipe
1: That's the best we for can living do. an
2: authentic life. Mm-hmm. Just do your best. And, I'm not, I wasn't conscious, like I didn't come in at the end of every day and start writing about, well, this is what I learned today. Oh, now I know this. Because, you know, that is a good way to intellectualize your life or conceptualize it, but, but make it false. Is if you treat it like some kind of object, an object lesson. What can I learn from the garden? Instead, I just did what was obvious to do. The garden tells me what to do. It tells me, it shows me when it needs weeding or when, you know, the, the leaves drop, that it's time to rake. You know, it tells me when it's, when it's time to, to skim the muck out of the ponds. You know, it tells me. So all I had to do was go into it. But when somebody asked me if I would write about what I'd learned from the garden, of course, initially, I thought, well, nothing, because I hadn't even thought about it. The good news is I hadn't thought about it. And then the other good news is that I didn't have to think about it. As soon as I looked outside and if you see what really is happening in front of you all the time when you live in a garden you learn about patience you know and faith and you learn about letting go you learn about taking responsibility and being disciplined you, you just learn everything you learn wisdom After we lost mom, I was worried about dad living alone in that big house. But I couldn't imagine him being happy anywhere else. But then Jenny, our comfort keeper, helped to make things right.
0: Across the country or across town, comfort keepers like Jenny provide in-home care for just a few hours a week or on an extended basis. Serving Red Deer in Central Alberta, 347-3730 or reddeer.comfortkeepers.ca.
1: We just planted our garden, and I'm not in an area of the world where you can have a garden all year round. Uh, we only get a few, three or four short months, and, and I learned so much from gardening. You learn, you learn patience and understanding, you know, plants and how they grow organically and how to feed them. There's so much that I learned in that short period of time. You know, I wish I had the privilege of having a, some kind of garden all year round to learn these life lessons.
2: Yeah, but you just said something that you know you shouldn't have said. What's that? You said, I wish. <laughs> right. There you go. You just, you, just, you just exiled yourself from paradise because you are dreaming that there's some other place that you could, you know, learn a lot more. Actually, every time I think about what, what really happens in cultivation, what really, what plants do or what seeds do, it's staggering. They, they're in the ground. They're underneath the ground. They're in the pitch black, okay, for however long they're there. I mean... Really, talk about (laughs) faith. They're there, and what is happening? I don't even know who can describe it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a mystery. This is the way, this this is how life cultivates life, continuously in every form. And then something happens fortuitously. A little warmth, you know, a little water, you know, roots. I don't even know how it works, but look, it works. Over and over and over again. That's what life is. That's what our life is. And yet we think we're supposed to figure it out. Let me study it. You know, let me diagram it. Let me make a plan. That seed under the earth has no plan. It is endowed intrinsically with everything it needs in order to grow.
1: And that's and what we have.
2: Uh... the light. We're the very same way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We're the very same way.
1: So, Karen, what's your favorite part about this book? Do you have one?
2: Well, I can tell you this. Nobody's asked me this, so I'm really glad. The whole thing, to me, is is my favorite. This is my favorite book I've ever written. I think this is the best book I ever wrote. And I didn't know that you could feel that way. I only have one child, for instance. But I think if I had three, I would love them all equally, but one would be my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So this is my favorite. You know, I don't even know what's in there, to tell you the truth. It just kind of comes out like you know the way a flower blooms and then when a flower blooms maybe the plant is covered with blooms and they're all beautiful in a whole mass but you don't single one out and say that's the best one um i love the way it begins and I love the way it ends, and I love everything in between. It's exactly like a garden.
1: I've thought about looking for publishers or editors myself, and then I, I would I part, partially worry that they would want to change my work because what I released is, is my own, it's very personal.
2: Oh, trust me, I feel that way myself, which is why editing is my least favorite part of the process, because I think everything I've written is perfect just the way it is. And yet, that process is one I can tell you that's so beneficial. It hurts it's pruning drew in other words things in my my garden need to be pruned right. they need to be shaped and sculpted there's a process where in order to get a flower to bloom again you have to do what's called deadheading, which is you pull off the spent bloom so what i like to i like to think about it this way first off when the, when the first editor has said something, my always my response is, How dare you? <laughs> okay, let's just get that out of the way. I'm
1: offended. And then I think, Well, they're just a reader.
2: And if a reader is having a hard time understanding exactly what I'm trying to say, then that gives me a second chance to say it a little bit more directly. And that's a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a good way to look at it instead of, like I said earlier, I would think that, well, someone wants to change my work and what I've released, but if you could look at it from a different angle, then you could find the yeah, benefits. Yeah, you, you
2: have to do it, and it's collaborative. Everything, that's just how a garden is too. Not, not one single thing exists by itself, for itself. You know, it's, it's, it's community. It's a larger whole. You know, we share this earth and ground, You know, we share it. We share the air. We share the water. So, yeah, it's all collaborative and interdependent. So everybody involved in a process, you know, contributes something. And that's how things come into being.
1: So your garden, you talked about how people visit your garden and they run retreats. And Is this an open or public thing just for people to It's a to
2: private come? garden. It's my backyard. It's just behind my house. When I say it's public, I mean anybody can come. And what specifically what I mean is that you can come. And so in this book I say come and see the garden and sometimes people think I'm only talking in a figure of speech. But the... The Zen teaching itself says don't get caught in figures of speech. Don't just think it's a metaphor. Don't just think it's poetry. It's literal. And so that means this garden has been here 100 years. I've only been caring for it for 20 or close to 20. This garden has waited 100 years for you to come and see it. So what do you think? I'm gonna lock the gate? <laughs> I mean, I'm just I just sweep up. I'm the temporary custodian, which is a good way to think about every part of your life and our role in the world as citizens of the world, that we are the temporary custodians. So not only are we going to do our best to keep it up and keep it healthy and nourish it, protect it, we're going to relinquish it to the next generation. This segment brought to you by Complete Truth Protein Powder. Live free, live true with whole natural foods. No additives, no preservatives, and soy, gluten, and dairy free. Supplement with superfood to energize your day. Visit CompleteTruthProtein.co for more.
1: Did the garden teach you, um, push you into you know being a Zen priest? Um, how did that come about? Is that something? Yeah, I
2: think it probably did. But not in a direct way. I had begun my practice, and I was a serious Zen practitioner, meaning a Zen meditation practitioner with a teacher, you know, in a formal way before I came here. But I also would have told you at that time, there was no way I was ever going to be a priest or because I didn't think that, that I was that kind of a person. So as you mature in anything that you do, the barriers will drop. And you'll begin to see through those points of resistance and how they're eco Um, You know, out of fear, we you just we're so convinced of what we can't do. Um, but the and I can't say that it's the gardening per se, but just being more honest and intimate in my own life, getting my hands dirty in everything I was doing. You know, you have to get your hands dirty in the garden. You have to get your hands dirty in the kitchen. You have to be up front and center, engaged in all of your relationships and in your family life. You know, somebody has to be the mom. Somebody has to be the cook. Somebody has to be, finally I realized, somebody has to be the priest. So it turns out it was me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) May as well be you.
2: Yeah, it was going to be me. If I was going to be a priest in my life, it was going to be me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great. Um, so are you actively practicing? How do, how does this work?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a very old-fashioned, some would say even archaic, obsolete form of practice, but Zen is, a, is an oral tradition. It's a one-on-one teaching, and it's a lineage practice, which means that over 81 generations since the original Buddha, the teaching has been transmitted from teacher to student down 81 generations until my generation, which is the 81st generation. So I practice at a Zen center with a teacher. I'm also a priest and a teacher. When I go, when I'm asked to go and teach others, I become the teacher, you know? Both roles are fluid, but all of that occurs in a kind of an organic, just like a garden, an organic evolution based on your own commitment. So now I'm an old lady. I'm the old lady in the room. I'm the old teacher.
1: And you like that. sounds like you embrace it with...
2: Well, it's the most fulfilling thing. I'm so lucky. It's hard work. In other words, our practice is a discipline, not unlike anything that you do. You know, and I'm sure that you understand the value of discipline based on what you do. Right. And so it's a discipline. It's simple. It's not easy. But I haven't found anything else that brings me both the joy of the practice itself and the simple gratitude and appreciation it delivers for my life, and then how fulfilling it is to share the teaching and the practice with others, to watch them wake up, to watch them um, step into the garden of their own lives. Uh, There's nothing better.
1: So how does this, I know it sounds like, I don't want to say laid back, but it sounds like uh, it's not so formal. How how do you, how did... Oh,
2: it is formal when I do it. You see, when you practice in a formal way, I wear robes. I mean, you know, we do it in the silent retreats. We sit eight hours a day. You're talking to a samurai. <laughs> oh my. I don't want you to think I'm some kind of, you know, a little old lady from Pasadena.
1: <laughs>
2: I, I, yeah, when you do things in a really committed and serious way, when you do the difficult thing like that as a practice, then everything else is easy. It's, everything else is fun. Mm-hmm. You see, you cultivate that aspect of yourself. Then you know how to have fun. If you know how to do the work, you really know how to do the play.
1: How does your student find you? Like, are you, how are you practicing this openly to...
2: Well, you found me.
1: <laughs> I certainly right? did. Okay,
2: it's really... Um, I'm a public figure, and the, it doesn't really have anything to do with me. A student hears truth some way, shape, or form. It's like you hearing me right now, or like me when I heard my first teacher or picked up a book, and it triggers the first event inside the student is a hearing a seeing an understanding and an interest you see it all happens inside you and then you simply hearing it suddenly then has this ever happened to you you know maybe you um you know you're going to get interested in a subject and you do a little bit of reading and then everywhere you turn you see information about it yeah of course Yeah, you run into people at the grocery store and they're talking about it. That's what happens. And then you just, it's a continual process. A spiritual journey is a continual process. It's just like any journey of taking the next step. So then you, you know, you look on your shelf and you see what's there. And then maybe you look at the magazine rack at the Whole Foods, you know. And then maybe you go online and maybe you listen to the show, you know. And maybe you friend me on Facebook. And then maybe you go to a Zen center. And you say to somebody there, can you show me how to meditate? And then one thing leads to another.
1: So it's more like a natural progression.
2: Like everything else. Everything in nature is natural. It's exactly like it happens in nature. (laughs) You know, sometimes the wind carries the seed. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, farmers cast seeds. I mean, it's this process that occurs naturally, and we can't. We do not have to know how it happens. It will happen by itself.
1: So now that you've, this is your favorite book right now. We've already, we've already Ooh, discussed yes. that. So, <laughs> have you? Are you gonna? What happens next? Like, are you gonna write another one? Are yeah.
2: You, well, the question, what happens next, is is the question that crazy people ask. <laughs> <laughs> it's how they torment themselves to happen. What's next? Well, I don't know. That's that's how wise. That's how a teacher responds to a question like that. It says, I don't know. Because in that space are infinite possibilities. I don't know. But I will, it will appear. You know, I'll be asked to write a book. I'll be invited to write a book. You know, I'll have I'll fall down and, you know, hit my head and, and you know, and something will come out of it. <laughs> it will happen by itself. I, one thing that occurs as we, you age and you become an old woman like me, is that I'm no longer gripped by the feeling that I, have to, that I have to do something, that I have to prove something, because sometimes those motivations are really about ego and greed and ambition. I, I feel like um, I will respond to what arises, and I'll, I'll probably write another one, but you see, I'm not in a hurry right now. Imagine. There's no one chasing
1: me. I <laughs> you, imagine you're not in a hurry to do too many things.
2: Well, I got to go pick up my daughter from school. And then, <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to, the wind is blowing, so I'm going to have to rake. I've got some laundry, in, you know, in the washer, so I'm going to do that. That's the kind of, uh, what's, that's what I respond to. I don't respond to my fear or my greed. I try not to. I don't respond to my feeling that I'm inadequate or unsatisfied. That's what I try not to respond
1: to. Uh, Karen, unfortunately for me and our listeners, our time is up. <laughs> but
2: Unfortunately for you, you know where I am. And now you can come visit me.
1: That's funny. I am coming to Los Angeles later this summer.
2: There you go. <laughs> so, uh, you can have it by itself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you might catch me blown in the wind if in your direction.
2: If you come here and you don't come see the garden, you're going to have to wait. Who knows how many other lifetimes?
1: I'm going to come and see your garden. I'm serious. All right, (laughs) Karen is an absolute pleasure. What what a breath of fresh air! Thank you for joining us on exploring mind and body.
2: Oh, it was my pleasure. You see, now it's like I feel like you're my kin. (laughs) Come home.
1: Well, you, (laughs) I'm coming.
0: Exploring Mind and Body with True Form's Drew Tadia would not be possible without the help from the following sponsors. AG Foods in Didsbury, Health Street in the Cornerstone Shopping Center Olds, and Shoppers Drug Mart, working together to help build a healthier tomorrow. For more information on True Form Life, True Tadia, or to find out how you can become a sponsor, visit exploringmindandbody.com.
1: That was paradise in plain sight, and uh, we're gonna have a blog post. We're gonna have show links, show notes. So check out exploringmindandbody.com. I'll get you everything you need from this interview. You heard the interview. I-, I can't say enough about it. I'm I'm already a number one fan of Karen's. Karen, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure, and I'm gonna recommend this book to everyone I, I see walking down the street. <laughs> but uh, I'm actually I'm gonna go see her garden. I- I'm serious. When you read this book, you'll feel like you're sitting in her garden. So that's enough of me rambling on. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for always your participation, your downloads, your comments. That means a lot to me and and gives me the inspiration to move forward. Thanks to Jameson Brown, my producer. Uh, he's at, at Jam Brown Radio. Check him out on Twitter. But other than that, that's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia, in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to
0: Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia.